Well, it is officially December, and we are full on into Christmas season and into our second week of our Christmas series. In fact, we're closing out 2020 and this year of our God Is series, just a few more weeks to go, and so we're going to dive into the Word today. In fact, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to the book of 1 Peter, all the way at the back of the New Testament, and we'll get to that passage of Scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2 in just a minute. Hey, great feedback last week in the comments section, and I have to say that it sounds like turkey was still the crowd favorite, though the ham and roast beef made a pretty good showing. Uh, but the, really, the runner-up was tamales, which, funny enough, wasn't even an option, but it had a really strong showing, so way to go, all you tamale fans. I can't say that I disagree. Love tamales as well. Uh, and so, as promised, we're going to have another question for you today, so get ready to type your answers right there into the chat or the comment section. And this week's question has to do with presents, uh, gift giving. So when it comes to receiving a Christmas gift, do you prefer fun or functional? Fun or functional? Do you like something that is just really has no specific purpose, is just a fun gift? Or do you some, like something that is practical? So type there in the comment section, fun or functional when it comes to receiving Christmas gifts. And uh, I'll let you know next week who, what the winner is, and then we'll have another question next week. And then thanks to everyone who sent in a video. Uh, it's great to see your faces. Uh, if you haven't sent one in yet, please do that. Just send us a, a a short video of you and your household uh, wear Christmas sweaters or in front of the Christmas tree, and then just just say hi, say hey from your you know your names and where you're watching from, and it'll just be fun to see each other through this Christmas season. Uh, last week we started out something that I'd mentioned we'd done a few years ago, and we're going to keep doing through this Christmas. And each Sunday, I'm going to take time to focus one of the Christmas carols, one of the popular Christmas carols, uh, and just talk a little bit about where it came from, what the history and the background is. Uh, and it's kind of a neat, a neat way to to kind of unpack or see behind the curtain a little bit as to the origin story behind some of our favorite Christmas carols. So. Uh, to, to today, our focus uh, Christmas carol is this, O Holy Night, O Holy Night. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it for you. I might read some of the, the words and some of the lyrics, but I'm not going to sing it for you. So O Holy Night uh, was written by a gentleman named Placide Capo de, Rome, de, de Roquemar. I hope I said that correctly. It was written in 1847, and he was asked, Placide was asked to write this hymn uh, by a priest. So uh, a priest had approached him and said, Placide, would you please write this? What's interesting about Placide is he wrote this, this hymn, this Christmas carol, uh, but Placide was himself an atheist. Uh, and like many of the, the songs of those days, of those times, they were actually written as poems, and the music was then added many, many years later, and that was the case with O Holy Night. So written in 1847 for a priest by this gentleman named Placide. The score, the music was written by Adolf Charles Adams um, many years later, and uh, an interesting 
interestingly, out of Charles Adams was a Jewish gentleman and was not a Christian. He, he, uh, he was of the Jewish faith. Uh, later on, it was written in German. It was later translated by John Sullivan Dwight in 1855. Uh, and John Sullivan was a Unitarian. And if you understand, Unitarians uh, believe in Jesus, but they also believe in everything else. Unitarians is kind of our, uh, a sect who believe whatever you want to believe is okay. Yeah, here is an atheist, a Jewish gentleman, and a Unitarian who are putting words to paper and music in translation to this incredibly powerful Christmas carol. Then in 1906, it was was a Canadian inventor, Reginald Fessenden, who played this song. It was the first song ever played on the radio. It was the first song ever transmitted over the radio. He was an inventor. He had invented this, this shortwave radio, and the very thing, very first song that was ever played over the airwaves was Oh Holy Night. So uh, there's a little bit of useful trivia for you. You can ask people maybe this Christmas, what was the first song ever played on the radio? And now you know, it was Oh Holy Night. Uh, he also, part of that broadcast, he read uh, portions of Luke chapter 2 in the story of the birth of Christ. Uh, o Holy Night is the third most recorded and played Christmas carol, and I'm going to reveal what the first two are in a, in a couple of weeks here. Uh, such a powerful uh, Christmas carol, powerful hymn, and it's amazing given the fact that it was written by an atheist, that the music was written by a Jewish gentleman, and then it was translated by someone who didn't believe strictly in the sovereignty of of Christ, that this song would go on to be as popular, this Christmas carol will be as popular as it is. And I think there's something so powerful in that, that when when words are written, when music is written to glorify God, that the source, it can come from all kinds of places. Jesus even said that the rocks would cry out. If we didn't praise his name, that the rocks would, would cry out. And and there's just something so overarching about that, that the name of God must be praised. Listen to the words. Uh, I'm just going to read a portion of the first first, uh, chorus of uh, uh, the the first stanza of this this, uh, Christmas carol. It says this, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices. O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night, O holy night, O night divine. Powerful, powerful words that were penned all of those years ago, centuries ago, that talk about the hope that comes through Jesus Christ. He wrote there that long lay the world in sin and error pining, that there was this season of time, this period of time, where the world was stuck in its sin and had no way. It was, it was error upon error, and it was just a stuckness to the world. Yet here comes Jesus, born into the world, and he brings hope. I love this line particularly. It says this, he writes, 
till he appeared, till Jesus appeared, and the soul felt its worth. The soul felt its worth. You know, this year has been a hard year, and we've talked about that a lot, and we'll continue to talk because it continues, I think, for, for so many. 2020 has just continued to be a difficult year. But one of the lines in this Christmas carol says this, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. When I read that again this week, that just resonated in my heart so much that when we come to Christmas, that there is place for there to be this thrill of hope, this excitement that would well up inside of us in the midst of the weariness of this, this season and this time, that we would be reminded at Christmas time that we have a Savior who came and was born into this world for us, and that He brought light and He brought life, and that there was this new light dawning on us. And, and as we go into this Christmas season, as we continue in it, that you would feel that. My prayer for you is that you would just feel the light and the love of Jesus, the brightly shining night when Jesus was born still rings true for us today. The soul feels its worth. We're going to camp out on that a little bit today, and we're going to turn to First Peter to understand a little bit about what that means. The idea here being that Jesus brings value to every single life. That Jesus brings value, he ascribes value to every single life. That every soul, your soul and my soul, would feel its worth because of the appearing of Jesus. That's so powerful. I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into the word. Lord, I thank you that you came into the world. Jesus, thank you that you came and that you were born all of those years ago in Bethlehem. And on that night when you were born, Lord, that your light and your love came into this world, the hope and the mercy and the kindness of God was born into this world. And I pray today as we turn to scripture, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate these words for us. These words written by the Apostle Peter would ring true in our hearts today about the worth we have in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. And this was a passage of Scripture that was in our reading this last week. And I encourage you, uh, check out the, the Lectio reading. You can still download the, the journal and the reading plan at thriveglendora.org. Um, so starting in verse, 10, uh, verse 9 of First Peter chapter 2, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The Apostle Peter here painting this picture of the before and after. Before you were this, but now you are that. Before this was your reality, but everything has changed and now you are these. And we're going to work through a few of these today. I want to unpack them a little bit for us and, and just allow them to kind of permeate our souls today in the midst of what has been a weary season that you would be reminded 
of how God feels about you today. A little background on this passage. So this, this letter was written by the Apostle Peter, who before that was the disciple Peter, who before that was the fisherman Peter. There was this progression in the life of Peter where he went from just being a, a gruff fisherman going about his trade to being called by Jesus to be one of the disciples and then later on even being promoted beyond that to be the leader. But in the in-between time, there was a lot that happened. You see, Peter was outspoken and he was brash. He was not refined. He, he was just kind of a, a tough cookie. He, was, uh, he, he just was always putting his foot in his mouth so far as to go uh, that he as going as, pardon me, going as far as betraying Jesus. In Jesus' hour of need, when he was, was, was betrayed, was arrested, was flogged, that in that moment, Peter betrayed Jesus. He made a ton of mistakes. He didn't get it right a lot of the time. And so here's Peter writing this letter, knowing the journey he's been on, knowing where he's come from and what his past looks like the way that that he behaved some of the things he said and that he that he did that caused him to be at the place where he now was as we even heard during our time of communion as pat and mindy, mindy led us today that that it's in the midst of our brokenness in the journey of the brokenness as god would break us that there's transformation that happens in that brokenness and peter was absolutely one of those people that was broken by the Lord, that the words of Jesus had an impact on his life, not a brokenness to, to crush him or destroy him, but a brokenness that Peter sat in that brokenness and, it, and allowed God to transform him. And the results were absolutely amazing. In fact, if you fast forward to the end of Peter's life, we, we know this from history that Peter was crucified and died in the same way that Jesus died, except for this one main difference. He requested that he be crucified upside down, that he did not consider himself worthy of dying in the same manner that Jesus did. And so he, at his request, he sacrificed, he gave his life, that he was martyred for his faith, but he was crucified upside down. Here's this man who goes from being brash, from, from just being, uh, just saying the wrong things at the wrong time, being outspoken, to here taking a stand for the one that he loved, for his Savior, for his Lord. Peter writes this letter to the church in the Roman Empire, specifically in the city of Rome, but even beyond to the provinces and the region of Rome. And he writes this letter because the church is being persecuted. It's in a season where the church uh, was, was, there was tons of opposition. There was tons of physical persecution coming against the church. And, and there were, the enemy was moving in all kinds of ways to try and disrupt the spread of the gospel. And so Peter writes this, church, this letter to the church to encourage them, to encourage the persecuted church. And right in the middle of it, he writes these words that we just read, and he reminds the church about who they are and who they belong to, about what God has done for them. 
So let's talk about that a little bit. He starts out by saying that you are a chosen people. You were a chosen people later on in verse 10. He says that you were the people of God. You were a chosen people, the people of God. And the picture here is this, that you've been carefully selected, intentionally selected. It's Christmas time, right? So we're, we're shopping. I know Amazon is getting a workout coming to our house as gifts are ordered and people, you know, we're limited in how we're allowed to go out and shop and numbers of people in stores. So hey, it's all about the online. And so people are, are, are scouring both the internet and stores going, what's the right gift? Especially for you gift givers. I know some people just, it's like a spiritual gift for you. You love gift giving. And so you will take the time and you will do the research and you will look into what is the right thing. What's the right color? What's the right fabric? What's the right purpose? Will, will this fit their need? Uh, and, and you get into not just the, the buying of the gift, but the wrapping and that there's this, this incredible effort that's, that's put into picking out the perfect gift. We give gifts at Christmas as a reminder of the incredible gift that's been given to us. But the picture here that Peter gives us is this, that God chose us. Before we ever chose him, before we ever ever said yes to him, he chose us. He looked down from heaven and said, I, these are my people, these are my creation, th- these are my children. And he chose us and Jesus was born into the world, a part of the mission of God, the Missio Dei, because the fact that God loves us and he chose us, that we are his chosen people. There's something so powerful about that, that God would choose you and that he would choose me and that our identity then is wrapped up in him. Peter goes on to say that we are a royal priesthood. So we're chosen people, but we're also a royal priesthood. And he picks two powerful images and he combines them royalty and priesthood, royalty and priesthood. I'm going to start with the second one first. Peter says that we're priests, and and all of those during that time in that region, especially those of the Jewish faith, would have understood the role of the priest as they look back to the Old Testament and, and the sacrificial system that existed in the tabernacle and then later on in the temple. And the priests, when God calls the children of Israel out of Egypt, he sets aside the priests, and the priests become the representatives between the people, uh, the representative of God, representatives of God to the people, and the priests would go before the Lord on their behalf. They were the only ones who were allowed to approach the presence of God, and they would go on behalf of the people. They would go before the Lord. They would make sacrifices, and there was just a special place about being a priest. Not anyone could just become a priest. It wasn't open. It wasn't, you couldn't enroll. You can go to priest college and get your, your degree in priesting. You were born into a priest family and, uh, and, and by birth, you would become a priest. And the priests were held in very high regard. They were very well regarded in the community. And so there was this connection between the priests and God. The, the priests would, would walk into the temple, into, into the Holy of Holies for that one priest that would go, on, go in uh, during those, those times, those allotted times of the year. So the priests were reflective of a people that were close 
to God. But then he says that there's this royalty aspect. And we understand this from royalty, that you're either born or married into royalty. You can't just decide one day, well, I'm royalty. Maybe you might act like that around your house. You may feel like that. But, but your only royalty is if, your only royalty if your, your lineage indicates that you're royalty or if you're married into a royal family. And to be royal, to be, uh, to, to be a part of um, a, a royal family comes with all kinds of, of different benefits. Uh, the, the, the recognition, the authority that comes with it. Now, of course, we don't have as many royal families, at, at least who are functioning in a, in a place of authority anymore. But for thousands of years, that was the norm, that the kings ruled the nations and that the, the king's children would then grow up and they would take the king's place and would rule those nations. And so uh, you were either born or married into it. That was the only way that you could be royal. And it was this picture of authority and rulership. Peter says here to the church, and he says to us that you are a royal priesthood. He combines the two images. And he says that you now are a people who have access to God the way that the priests of the Old Testament did. You have full access. That you can go into the presence of God anytime all the time that you can have that face to face, but not only are you priests, but you are also royalty. That you and and check out the the, the symbolism here, the the, um, the metaphors that that Peter uses. He says that uh, you that you're born into, you're married into royalty. Those are the two ways um, that we are born again. As the Bible says that we're born again. In fact, Jesus said that that to be a part of God's kingdom, you have to be born again. Uh, and then the Apostle Paul refers to the church as the bride of Christ. So both of those pictures that we're born into this new family, but we're also uh, this, this bride, this, this, this bride that God has chosen to be his precious people. Such a, such a powerful image of who we are. So we are the sons and the daughters of the king. You are a son or a daughter of a king. And you have all of the rights that come with that. And the only reason you have access to that is because Jesus was born into this world. That Jesus made that a reality for us. That he ushered that in. He is our great high priest, but he is also our king. And that he has brought both of those realities to bear in our life right now. So with those two things, that we are a royal priesthood, together, all together, we are a holy nation. We are a holy nation. As followers of Jesus, as citizens of his kingdom, as sons and daughters of the king, as a royal priesthood, we make up what is called a holy nation. For something to be holy means that it is set apart, that it is distinct. It's not common. There are common things and there are holy things. And Peter here is saying to us as the church that we are no longer common because of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, that we are now a holy nation. We are a set apart people. We are distinct from the rest of the world. We're called to be distinct from the rest of the world. And we're set apart from all of the other things 
that are in the world. And that distinctness, that uniqueness about us is, is supposed to have an impact in the world around us, a positive impact, an impact that would glorify God. And we'll talk about that more in just a second. Last week, we talked about being an ambassador, that, that God has called us to be ambassadors, to be a witness of who God is in the world, that we would display his likeness everywhere we go, that we would show his glory as the church, that we are we're to go into our communities, that we're go, to go into the places where we work, in our families and everywhere to display the glory of God. That's part of us being a holy nation, that as the children of God, as this holy nation, that we are to be separate, that we're to be distinct, That doesn't mean that we're supposed to be weird. It doesn't mean we're supposed to be off-putting. If we look at the life of Jesus and the way that he interacted with people, there was something very distinct about his life. But people were so attracted to him. They loved to be with him. We've read about that over these last few weeks and months. And we've talked about that, how Jesus attracted the people that needed him the most. And we get to display that love of Jesus, but that comes through us being a holy nation. You might not feel holy. You might not ascribe that or, or describe yourself that way of saying you are holy, but Peter is reminding us here because of who Jesus is that we are chosen, that we are a royal priesthood, and that we are a holy nation. Remember, he's writing this to a church in the midst of persecution saying, listen, don't forget who you are. Don't forget your identity. He then goes on to say this, that you are a people belonging to God. You are a people belonging to God. How amazing is that? That you are a special possession, Peter says. You are a special possession. You notice that Peter, as he writes, as he reflects the heart of God, uh, he goes from big, these big concepts and he ends up at this place where he says that, it's, that, you're his, that God, you are God's special possession, that it's incredibly intimate, something that God treasures. You are someone, you are a person, you are a child, that God, he, he treasures you, that you are so special to him that he regards you so highly. And it's this picture of a father wrapping his arms around his children. Sometimes you just need a hug. Sometimes you just need those big arms to be wrapped around you. I know as a dad, I know when my kids, especially when they were little, maybe not as much anymore, but when they were little and and they would hurt themselves or, or something didn't go their way and they would be crying those big old tears, and they would come and say, Daddy, just hold me. Give me a hug. Just hold me. And my, my heart would just gush over that. This daddy's heart would say, oh, I just want to hold you and comfort you. God regards you. He sees you as his special possession. And that even today in this moment that he would ra- want to wrap his arms around you and let you know how much you mean to him. Peter also writes this. He says in, in verse 10, he says, once you, were, uh, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. And once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. Again, looking at what was before and what is now, 
You had no identity, but now you have this identity in, in, in God through Jesus Christ. And then this picture of mercy. Once you had not received mercy, you had not received the grace that comes and flows from the heart of God. The mercy that, that brings forgiveness. The mercy that brings healing and wholeness. The mercy that, that reflects the kindness of the heart of God. Peter says there was a time where you, you had not received mercy. But now, as God's special possession, as a royal priesthood, as a chosen people, you have received the mercy of God. And I tell you what, we could just stop there because that's so good. But Peter inserts something here in the middle of this passage that's so important. There's a response. There's a response that Peter highlights. He says that we are the people who belong to God and that we would declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That God has called us out of darkness into light, out of from death to life, and that in the midst of this, we would declare his praises. Now again, remember, he's writing to the persecuted church, but he's saying, remember who you are. Remember what God has done for you. Remember how he feels about you. And as you reflect on that, that your heart would sing, that your mouth would open and declare the praises of God who called you from this condition you were in into this new place that you, were, that you are now. See, there's purpose behind this. There's purpose behind the praise. Of course, we praise God because he is worthy of praise. But we also praise God because it lets the world know who we are and who we serve, who our Father is and the condition of our soul. Going back to the birth of Jesus, that night in Bethlehem, there was a multitude of angels that sang, that the whole sky was filled with this angelic choir who, just, who, 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 who declared the praise of God, who declared that Jesus had been born. Hosanna, Hosanna. They praised, they glorified God as they, as they just were jubilant about this event that had just take pla- taken place. They were declaring, declaring the goodness of God. And Peter says to us here in, in, this, in this letter, out of the goodness of God, out of the fact that he has chosen us, that he has declared us to be a, a, a royal priesthood, because we are a holy nation, because we've received mercy, that there would be this response in us, no matter what's going on in the world around us. Hear me in this church. No matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter what our circumstances are, because of who we are and what God has done for us, that there would just be this response in us that would say, I need to glorify God. I need to sing praises to him and declare praises to the one who called me out of darkness, and into his marvelous light. This is the God that we serve. This is the incredible gift that we have been given, the gift that you have been given, and the gift that I have been given by our Heavenly Father, the one who gave us the gift of Jesus Christ to make all of these things a reality. So here's Peter. Here's Peter who is writing this letter knowing the past that he had, knowing the journey he had been on, knowing the mistakes that he had made, knowing the places where he had just absolutely gotten it wrong. 
but there's the security that he has. There's this understanding that he has about who he is, who God is, and how God's choice for him has completely transformed his life. How God choosing him, making Peter that selection, saying, Peter, I choose you. And Jesus did that over and over. Peter, come and follow me. In John 21, when, when Jesus restores Peter on the, on the shores of Galilee, what he's saying to Peter when he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Is he's actually saying, Peter, I choose you. I'm choosing you. And this man would go on to have this incredible impact. See, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter if you're refined or not, or if you feel like you're educated or not, or you feel whatever it is you feel like you don't have to bring. God says, that's okay, because I've chosen you. I've selected you. I've handpicked you, and you are a, a chosen person. You are my child. You are royalty. You are a priest. You are part of a holy nation. You have received mercy. And that this Christmas, our hearts would cry out and sing and say, God, I glorify you. I declare your praises because of what you have done in my life. Well, as we've been doing uh, through these, these, last, these last couple of weeks, uh, I'm asking a question at the end of the message, and I'd like for you to take a few minutes as I close. The question will be up on the screen, and, and just take a few minutes, about four or five minutes, and just talk about this with the people that you're watching with. Uh, if you're watching by yourself, maybe write some notes or, or write in your, your, your journal uh, a response to the Lord. But here's the question for today. When it comes to declaring God's goodness, what are some practical ways that you can declare God's praises? What are some practical ways that you can declare God's praises? You see, that word declare is something that's meant to be done out loud. Something that's, that's meant to be said out loud. A few weeks ago, Thanksgiving talked about the fact that it's not, your, it's not thankfulness if you, don't, if you don't say it to someone. It's the same thing when it comes to these praises. As you declare the, the praises of God, and absolutely part of that is declaring it to God himself, but thinking about your community and the people around you and, and the world that you interact with, what are some ways that you could declare God's praises? And we'll let you chew on that for a few minutes. I'm going to close with prayer. I do want to give this invitation, though, if you're watching this message, if you've been watching this service and you're saying, Pastor Barry, I don't know if I have that relationship with God. I don't know. I'm not confident uh, about the fact that I would be a chosen people, a, a royal priest and a holy nation, one who's received mercy. I don't know. And if there's any doubt, if there's any question, I want to give you the opportunity right now to receive Jesus, to receive this incredible gift that has been given to you. All you need to do th is this. I want to pray a prayer and you need to repeat that prayer. Just repeat the prayer after me, but mean it in your heart and pray it out loud. Um, and, and, Allow God to just do a work in you and minister to you. Pray this prayer with me if you would. Dear Jesus, I receive you to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you for the gift of life that you have given to me. I choose to follow you. I repent of my sin and ask for your forgiveness. Be the Lord of my life as I follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name.
Amen. If you prayed that prayer, please let us know by uh, clicking the link uh, in the chat section right now, filling out a connect card, or just sending us an email at prayer at thriveglendora.org. We'd love the opportunity to follow up with you. But let me be the first to welcome you and say welcome to the family of God. You have been chosen by him. Church family, I'm going to close us in prayer uh, and then let you get to the question for the day. So Father God, we thank you for this reminder written by the Apostle Peter who had some huge ups and downs. And Lord, many of us, most of us, if not all of us, can relate. God, we recognize that you've brought us from where we were to where we are, that you are with us, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that we have been chosen by you, that we are your people, that we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that we are people who've received mercy, that we are your special possession. God, that you treasure us. Your word tells us that that we are your masterpiece created in Christ to do good works. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would sing those praises this Christmas as we're reminded about what you've done for us. But then, Lord, that we would also declare those praises out loud everywhere we go and anywhere we can Thank you, Lord, that we've been set apart. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Look forward to seeing you next time. Make sure to send in your video, your Christmas greeting video. We'd love to see your smiling faces. Uh, Enjoy this time as you discuss this question. God bless you.